0: Bibles turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. We're taking a pause in our series entitled Magnify Jesus where we've been going through the book of Philippians. Do not fret. We are coming back. I promise you that. Uh, we're going to take an eight-week detour into what the Bible says about fear, a new series that kicks off today entitled Fear Less. Uh, and so we'll be taking a look at what the Bible has to say about fear. And believe it or not, the Bible says a lot about the topic of Fear. Uh, This kind of ties in with our theme for the year, Bold as a Lion, for the book of Proverbs, chapter 28. And so we'll be taking a look at this over the next eight weeks. Uh, I want to point you to a really good resource that I've been using uh, just as part of my personal devotion and reading and things like that. The book entitled Running Scared by Edward Welch. Edward Welch is a Christian therapist who's written books on anxiety and depression and fear. And so uh, one of the books that, that have been a help to me through the study and through just my personal life as well is the book entitled Running Scared. I think we have like four copies of it. we got more on the way, but I'd encourage you if you're interested in that, uh, pick up that book. I know for a fact it would be a help and encouragement to you uh, for sure. Mark chapter 4, we find ourselves in a familiar story. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with some of his apostles after he's already performed some miracles, and they find themselves in the midst of a storm. That's where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4, verse number 36. When they would sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that now it was full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We live in a culture, uh, really today, that is dominated by fear. Uh, I, don't, I personally make it a habit of not watching or reading the news, because the news is full of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I'm not a conspiracy theorist in any way. I don't uh, not I don't believe that aliens built the Great Pyramids or anything like that. Maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, But I'm not a conspiracy theorist as you would imagine. I don't wear a tinfoil hat and think that the government's spying on everything that we do. But I do believe that there's a concentrated effort to cause us in the world that we live in to live by fear. Uh, I went on USA Today website this morning. It's not a habit that I normally have. I just went on there for today, and I just skimmed the headlines. In the first three quarters of the page, I couldn't not find anything encouraging whatsoever, nothing. But as I scan on there, I, I read about unrest in Cuba and what the U.S. is doing or not doing to help with the unrest that's taking place in Cuba and what we've done to exacerbate the problem in the past that's going on in Cuba. I read that the uh, two of the uh, athletes that were at the Olympic Village in the, the Olympics have tested positive for COVID. And they've got them out, but they don't know how widespread it is, and so it could uh, damage the entire Olympic uh, Games this year because two people tested positive for COVID. I found that the Delta variant of the coronavirus is right ramping up and will wreak havoc upon the United States if left unchecked. I read that the majority of Americans that are uh, unvaccinated live in areas in the South that are known for being undereducated. As a person from the South, I just take take offense to a statement like that. We're a bunch of dumb rednecks, but we're rednecks. Or, uh, anyways, uh, but... Th- Also read that in the Midwest, the heat wave has caused farmers to not be able to bring in as much crop, which could cause a food shortage in the United States or could cause food prices to skyrocket in coming this fall. And that's in about 45 seconds of just skimming news headlines. And it's no wonder that people that live by the news live in fear. But we as Christians are commanded to not live in fear, but live in boldness, to live in courage, to live in faith. And so our lives should be markedly different. And so uh, we're going to take eight weeks and take a look at what the Bible says as far as us uh, living by fear or living by faith. The very first Sunday of this year, we went through Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 8. I asked folks when they came in, uh, beginning this, this year, this is not the, the fears of uh, society at a whole. This is the fears of the people who attend call a Church, the very first uh, Sunday of this year. Ask them to write down their fears on a 3 by 5 card, and here are the things that we got. People are afraid of bees, okay? Uh, Losing their family, being trapped in a burning building, rejection, not living up to their potential, being in a crowd, falling, time, failing, being lost at sea, sickness, failure, dying alone, disappointment, homelessness, disapproval of others, heights, betrayal, praying mantises, overthinking, drowning, losing trust, dementia big dogs, being assaulted, new things, being trapped in an elevator, panic attacks, lizards, losing a child, darkness, small dark spaces, wasting my life, the unknown, losing my spouse, foolishness, God's judgment on America, homework, not being enough, not having enough, growing up, snakes, I'm with you, loneliness, lack of health care, cockroaches, job situation, people I love not being saved, failure, and Disappointment. man. you look at that list and you're like, some of these, okay, I'm with you. You know, uh, being trapped in an elevator, that would be a harrowing experience for sure. But then things like failure. Things like not being enough. Things like not having enough. As we'll see as we look through this series over the next eight weeks, our fears expose the depths of our heart. For example, I've never one time ever been worried about being lost at sea. Never. The thought never crossed my mind. You know why? Because if you ever catch me more than 25 yards off the shoreline, something's wrong, send help. Because like I shouldn't be out that far, right? So that that's not a fear for me. It's not a thing for me. I don't stay up at night wondering what happens if I get lost at sea. Now, if I were on a submarine that is underneath the Earth's surface for months at a time, I might fear being lost at sea. That's a very real fear for that person. But things like Losing a child, okay, I'm with you. I get that. You know why? Because that speaks to my heart. And so we'll find as we uncover and unpack the things that are in our heart and we look at fear and worry and anxiety, they're closely attached to things that we hold near and dear to our heart. And the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. As we kick off this series, just a few things we need to make sure that we keep in mind. First of all, the emotion of fear is actually a gift from God. The emotion of fear, feeling a sense of fear, is actually not a bad thing. It's an emotion that God's given us. For example, when I walk down the sidewalk and I hear footsteps behind me, I always look over my shoulder to find out what's going on. And whether it's a person uh, who's uh, in exercise clothes that looks like they're jogging, or it's a person with a hoodie with their hands in their pockets, I'm automatically aware and on guard at what's taking place around me. Now, not a fear, like, oh, no, I'm going to be attacked in this case here, but I'm aware. And I think that's a a really healthy thing to do as well. In, In the military, they teach situational awareness, understanding everything that's going on around you and how that impacts your safety at any given time. I think that's a healthy thing. That's a gift that God gives us. And so, fear as an emotion, in and of itself, if something goes bump in the night, or you hear a sound that you're not familiar with, and it causes you to pause for a moment, that's actually a gift that God gives us because fear protects us from danger. It, it alerts us that something's not right, and then our, our body's bodies' primal instincts, our our bodies, the way that God wired us, our survival instincts kick in. Our adrenaline starts pumping, our heart rate goes up, our eyes widen. We become more hyper aware of the things that are taking place around us. That's a gift that God gives us to keep us alive. And so, fear in and of itself as an emotion is not a bad thing because fear is what keeps us alive. For folks in our, our church that have bravely served in combat and came back home alive, one of the things that kept you alive was fear and awareness of what was going on around you. It's a, it's a healthy emotion. And so we can't look at fear as fear is constantly an enemy of us because fear as an emotion is actually a really, really good thing. But fear is problematic when we're fearful in the absence of danger. When when there's no danger around yet fear continues to run the show, then we have a problem where fear has now overtaken my life. For example... If I walk down the street and I don't hear footsteps behind me, but I'm constantly checking over my shoulder because I think that there might be someone following me just with very quiet footsteps, then fear becomes a problem because I'm not in danger, yet I'm fearful all the time. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 28, verse number one, that the fearful... the the wicked are fearful when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The, the, The fearful, the unbelieving, they're scared. They live a lifestyle of fear, a life of fear, even when there's no present danger. And so we have to ask ourselves, if I worry when I shouldn't have reason for worry, that's a problem. If I worry about Being eaten by sharks when I'm standing here on this platform, you say, well, that's pretty silly. You know, you're not in any present danger, but if I'm worried about my kids getting sick when my kids aren't actually sick, then I'm living in something that's not a present danger, but it's a fear or worry or anxiety that I have, then it can actually become problematic. But again, our fears are something that reveals the things that are near and dear to our heart and things that we hold close to ourselves. For those who don't live a life of faith, fear consumes their lives. Fear consumes the lives of those who don't live by faith. For us as Christians, and if you're a child of God here today, God does not want you to live in fear. God wants you to live in the power that he gives you of his promises, his presence. God wants you to live by faith, not be consumed by fear. And so for us as Christians, we should live a distinctly different life than the unsaved man lives because we have promises, we have the presence of God with us, we shouldn't live by fear. But the unbelieving actually lives an entire life of fear, that even though they might let on as if they're unafraid or not scared in any way, they're trusting in their own strength and their own bravado and their own false courage. But for us as Christians, we're chosen to live by faith. The Bible says that the just or the justified or those that are, are declared righteous by God shall live by faith. That's what we should live. But when it comes to us as Christians, where do we get our faith from? It's not from just digging it up deep. It's not knuckling up and getting through it. It's not a matter of pulling ourselves up from our own bootstraps. Our faith comes from something outside of ourselves. Because before we knew Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we were fearful, we were without hope, that we were in need of a Savior. You see, we're all born into this world as sinners. We've all sinned against the holy God. I've, I've sinned, you've sinned. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. And our sin has earned for us a place in hell for all of eternity. And because I've sinned against God and you've sinned against God, the payment for our sin is hell. The Bible calls this the second death. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell unloved and un, un, not given another opportunity. And so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins. We as Christians call this the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins so that I could be forgiven. But for every single person, on planet earth, you must come to a point where you're willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Everything begins with faith, everything. You cannot be saved without faith. You cannot be born again without faith. You cannot overcome fear without faith. And so it all begins with Jesus and it all begins with being saved or born again For every person, there must be a time, a date, a place in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you believed that Jesus Christ was was the Son of God, you believed that He was the only way to heaven, you believed that your sin separated you from God and you cried out in faith and repentance and asked God to save you from your sin. You need to be saved. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, friend, you don't have what it takes to make it through life without fear. You just don't. And you definitely don't have what it takes to make it into heaven after this life is over if you don't have Jesus Christ. Jesus is in John chapter three, verse number three. No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Friend, you know for sure that you're saved today. If you say, I'm not really sure that I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure if I died, heaven is my home. Please do not leave here. Don't hit the double doors in the back until you know for sure that you're saved and heaven is your home because that unlocks an entire new world for you as a child of God and you now have access to all the promises of God's word and you now have no reason to fear. But for those without Jesus, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse number eight, Here's what it says. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Revelation 21, 8, very clear. Hell awaits those who die in their sin. It's fascinating to me every time I read this passage, Revelation 21, verse number 8, that it talks about whoremongers, sorcerers, adulterers. I mean, you talk about the worst of the worst, right? (laughs) But in Revelation 21, 8, the very first two categories of people that are mentioned. But the fearful and unbelieving shall have their place in the lake of fire. That's big. It just goes to show that if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you're living a life of fearful unbelief. And if you are a child of God and you're living a life of fear, you're living a sinner's lifestyle, put it that way, according to the Bible. You don't have to be consumed by fear, anxiety, and worry because you have what it takes through Jesus Christ, through the faith that's offered to you, to be able to live by faith. So where does fear come from? We'll take a look at it a little bit later in our study that the Bible says that fear doesn't come from God. Fear is a logical consequence of sin. It's a natural outgrowth of the sin and our rebellion against God. Fear comes from that. If I have a fear walking down the sidewalk that I'm going to be robbed or assaulted or someone's going to steal something from me, that comes from understanding what sin does to people. When I say to my wife, I don't want you going out at night by yourself, that's an understanding of the sinful nature of this world, and fear is a logical consequence of sin. We take a look at Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were told, you can eat of anything, any fruit of any of the trees except for the the tree in the center of the garden. They chose to take of the fruit and eat of it. And then they went and hid. And God's walking through the garden, and he says, hey, Adam, where are you at? Now, mind you, God's not asking Adam where he is because he's playing hide and seek with him. God's not asking Adam where he's at because he doesn't know where Adam is. God's asking Adam a question because he wants Adam to admit the truth. And just as a side note, when you and I read the Bible and God comes to us with hard stuff, it's not because God doesn't know the answers. It's because God wants us to admit the truth. That's so he comes to Adam and says, hey, Adam, where are you at? And here's what Adam says, Genesis chapter three, verse number 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Wait a minute, I know what you've done. Sure enough. Sin caused fear in Adam's heart and caused him to want to cover his sin. Made an apron of fig leaves that, guess what? They wilted. And his sin was still on display. And the logical outgrowth of sin is going to ultimately be fear. You see, before the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, there was no fear. They didn't have anything to fear. There was no death. There was no sickness. But once sin entered into the world, then fear came along with it. It's important to understand, though, again, that the emotion of fear is not a sin, but living a life of fear is. Again, we've already taken a look at. It. Fear is a primal instinct that, that the hair on your arms stands up when you're confronted with danger. Your fight or flight kicks in when fear kicks in. But the problem is, is when you and I live in fear when there's no reason for fear. When we live a lifestyle of fear, that becomes problematic. When everything becomes a sense of worry or concern, that becomes problematic. That becomes sinful. Fear chooses to trust self over the promises of God. Fear makes a decision that I know what's going on here. Despite what the Bible says, I know this situation a little bit better than the Bible does. I've often talked with people who have made... I I call it probably one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard in my life. I used to say it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but my wife told me that that's not nice talk, so I try to talk nice and say it's one of the most foolish things that I've ever heard with my own ears. Is this, when someone says, I know what the Bible says, but (laughs) let me just stop you right there. No, 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 you need to hear me out. I don't care what you have to say because I'm going to save you from making a fool of yourself. I've met with guys before who say, I know what the Bible says about divorce, but you don't know my situation. (laughs) I don't need to know your situation. I know what the Bible says about divorce. I know what the Bible says about lust and pornography, but you don't understand my situation. I don't need to understand your situation because I know what the Bible says. I know I shouldn't be angry about this, but you don't understand. (laughs) Let me just stop you right there. I know that I shouldn't be worried and anxious about this situation, but mm, that's a problem. Because we automatically assume that our situation is unique. We are the exception to the rule. I have a reason to be afraid. I have a reason to be anxious. I have a reason to worry because I don't trust what the Bible has to say. That's problematic. As we take a look at, again, at our text here, verse number uh, 38, Mark chapter 4, verse number 38. Let's take a look at verse 37. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they wake him and saying to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish. In this case, here these men had chosen to choose our fear chooses to trust our interpretation of the circumstances over the presence of Jesus. These guys who said, Hey, I'm going to trust my fear and what my fear sees, what my fear is experiencing, rather than actually trust in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I've heard this story since I was a kid. I've been in, in church my whole life, and I can't tell you how many times in Sunday school we heard the story about Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's interesting to me, my interpretation of this was that there was just like storms and thunder and lightning and rain so hard, you know, the type of rain that you can't comes down in sheets that you can't see five feet in front of you. I, I was assuming it was like that. Because, again, the boat filled up with water. But if you read through this crazy thing, verse 37 says, and there rose a great storm of wind. There was no rain spoken of in this particular storm. But you know, it's funny, in my mind, as I read this, every storm has, has rain. Has to, right? Unless it's a windstorm. And so it's, it's interesting to me who is disconnected from this altogether I trusted my own understanding of this story more than I trusted what the Bible actually had to say. When I actually read it, I realized there wasn't any rain here that's spoken of. It was all wind. And so these guys that are in the middle of this storm, first of all, it was a, the storm was massive. No doubt about it. There was a great storm. It wasn't just a storm. The Bible says it was a great storm. So the storm was massive. It goes on there as well to say in verse number um, 37, there arose a great storm of wind, And the waves beat into the ship, so now it was full. And so not only was the storm massive, but the boat was full of water. And I'm not a sailor, I'm not a waterman, but here's what I do know. When your boat fills up with water, it's only going to do one thing, and that's what? Sink. It's going down. And so you're in a massive storm. The waves are huge. They're they're filling up the boat that you're in. And again, we don't know how big the boat was, but here's what we do know from the text. Verse number 36 says that along with this ship, there were other little ships with it. So we're probably not talking about a rowboat with smaller rowboats. We're probably talking about a decent-sized ship that's here and other little ships with it. But the ship that Jesus is on, which is bigger than the little ships, evidently, is now full of water. Notice it doesn't say it's filling with water or there was water on the boat. The the Bible says it was now full. This boat's going down. So, here's what what I know. I'm in the middle of a storm. My boat's full of water and it's going down and we're not going to make it. But here's the thing that they'd forgotten. As they surveyed the situation, as they looked at their circumstances, they, they took inventory of the events that were taking place. Here's the thing that everybody forgot. That Jesus was there. Jesus is there. And again, they didn't fully grasp exactly what that meant in the moment. They didn't realize who Jesus was. I think to some degree they recognized he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, But you notice their shock and amazement and, again, continued fear in verse number uh, 39, verse number 41, I'm sorry. And they feared exceedingly and said unto one another, What manner of this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're even more scared now after what they've seen. What is this? Who, Who is this guy that even the wind and the seas obey him? What they failed to realize is that the person who made the wind and the seas, he was in the boat with them. They were so worried about losing their life that they didn't realize that the one who gave them life was sitting in the boat in the back, obviously not greatly concerned with this storm that had kicked up because he was taking a nap. It's easy for us to look back and go, oh, those guys, can you believe it? No faith, Jesus on the boat with them, and here all they want to do is complain, right? Oh, my goodness. Hold up. Before you decide to pop your collar and talk about how much faith you've got, has there ever been a time where you went through something that was really difficult, that Jesus was there with you, and you're like, what the world is going on here? And begin to panic? If not, you're a better Christian than I am. If not, you're a better Christian than David is. You know what David said? How long will I cry out and you not hear me? How long do I have to continue to pray and my prayers don't get answered? Do you even remember my name? Do you know where I live? Because you have all but abandoned me, David said. And so again, lest we look at these guys as as pathetic examples of a lack of faith, we need to look at this and see our own selves. In the midst of a storm, we're crying out and saying, hey God, do you even care what's going on here? Fear causes us to act act, act out against our better judgment. So again, in the midst of a storm, what should you do? You should trust in the captain of the ship, If you begin taking on water, what should you do? You should start bailing water. If that fails, you should start looking for a way to get out. These guys didn't do any of this. The first thing they did is they went and woke Jesus up. And here's what they did. They rebuked Jesus. I can imagine them, they probably didn't lean over and go like, hey, buddy, hey, hey, are you awake? Kind of looks like you're awake. hey, hey. Did, did you know we're having like a little storm out here? You know, it just that they ran to him. I can imagine they like grabbed him up by his collar and said, Hey, don't you care that we're about to die? Like you don't even care. <laughs> Again, had they realized that they're taking God by the collar and shaking him and saying, You don't even care that we're about to die just goes to show that their fear had driven them to a point of doing something that they would never rationally do. It just doesn't make sense. And again, lest you and I think that these are pathetic examples of Christians, you and I at times have gone to God in prayer and said to him, what do you think you're doing? Like, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm tithing, I'm serving, I'm loving my neighbor, I'm trying to do everything I can, and this is how you repay me? Gee, thanks. And again, if you say, I've never prayed like that to God, then you're a better Christian than I am and you're a better Christian than David is because David did it. And here's the thing, if you've never been able to pray with that kind of boldness, you need to get the ability to pray with boldness and just tell God what's on your heart and confess your unbelief and lack of faith to him, these guys, all they did was just confess their lack of unbelief and their lack of faith to God. And that's okay. Just be real. But they acted against their better judgment rather than trusting in the God of the storm, they trusted in the God of self. And when that didn't work, they went and tried to wake up Jesus. Interesting thing to note about fear is that fear is not obedient to reality. Fear doesn't recognize that Jesus is in the back of the boat, and if he's taking a nap, I should probably take a nap too. Fear doesn't think about what's real. Fear thinks about what I feel. I am terrified, terrified of sharks. Jaws came out when I was a kid, and I I shouldn't have watched it, but my parents let me, and when Jaws 3 came out, it was one of the first 3D movies at the movie theater, and so you got to put on the, the, the blue and red glasses and shit and watch Jaws pop out of the screen. Furthermore, traumatizing to my young self. To the point, like, no lie, if you go to the Honolulu Aquarium, in the little walk-through area that they've got, that has got this little bitty aquarium, and there's a tiger shark that's probably, I don't know, two and a half feet long in there. It just swims by the window, and I can't breathe. Like, just like... <gasps> Okay, first of all, that thing's not going to hurt you. Second of all, there's 18 inches of glass between you and the, the tiger shark, but I can't breathe when it comes by. I just can't. And they have these shark diving excursions on the North Shore where they lower you down in a cage? No way, no how. Somebody like, I'll pay for you to go, pastor. You couldn't pay me to go. I don't care that you pay my way. You can give me a million bucks to go down in a cage with some shark. You're nuts. Oh, but the, the cage is... Re- I, I've seen way too many movies and way too many TV shows. They're going to bang that and the, the cage is going to cave in or the latch is going to break and I'm going to spill out and <laughs> they're going to smell my fear. Or I'm going to have a cut on my, my fingernail and it's going to bleed out and the shark's going to come in and eat my hand off. No, 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 no. But then, get this. They take it one step further here. You can swim without a cage. With the sharks. If you're next level stupid, right? Like, I'm beyond just stupid. I'm like next level stupid, right? Let me swim without a cage with sharks. No way on planet Earth. There's a, a girl who attended church here for a while that was a marine biologist who specialized in sharks. And she said, oh, that's so cute. She said, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And I said, that's not possible, not possible. No, there's no way they could be more afraid of me because they would be dead. That's how afraid I am of of sharks. Don't do it. But again, my fear of sharks is not based in reality. It's based on movies, TV shows. It's based on childhood trauma of watching this kind of stuff. Childhood trauma of actually going to SeaWorld in Orlando and being forced to walk through the shark tank where they're like going over you. Like I screamed bloody murder uh, in that in echo chamber uh, in SeaWorld. I'm just telling you, it was the worst experience of my life. But my fear of sharks today is not based in reality. It's based on fear. It's based on childhood trauma. It's based on where I've been before. But it doesn't remotely reflect Reality. So what does fear reflect? It reflects our feelings. It reflects our emotions. It reflects our past experiences. And here's the thing about fear. Fear needs immediate relief. Fear needs an answer right now. Fear doesn't wait because fear heightens our senses where something has to take place like right now. In the history of my marriage, There's never been a time where my wife woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, did you hear that sound outside? And I ever said, I'll check it out tomorrow or maybe this weekend. And that was an acceptable answer. Never. It was always like, no, you're going to check it now. Go now. Why? Because fear doesn't just go back to bed. Fear needs a release right now. Do something. Fix this now. But here's the problem. There's not always an immediate solution to your fear. When the doctor says, hey, we're going to have to send these tests off to the mainland and it might be six days or six weeks before we get an answer back. Fear doesn't get an immediate release. Fear has to wait. For my daughter, McKeeley, she was in the hospital this past year and we got to see a specialist uh, about a month or so ago. A specialist w- which we'd waited two months for that appointment to get to says, oh, we didn't find the, what we're looking for. We'll have to send her to another specialist, and it could take anywhere from three to six months because, uh, you know, it's Hawaii here. <laughs> that, that's always the worst answer in the world. For me. Oh, it's Hawaii, you know, as if that uh, gives us the right to be able to just blow stuff off. But anyways, uh, three to six months is what they said. And so imagine waiting around for an answer for three to six months. Fear doesn't get an immediate release to that. Fear wants an answer today. And so here's the idea. I can live in fear for the next three to six months, wondering, thinking what might happen. I can go on WebMD and look up all the symptoms and go, oh, that's totally the symptom, right? Because why? Fatigue is always the symptom of everything. You're like, I've been super tired lately. I totally have this, right? Dry mouth. I think I've been, I've had dry mouth lately, I think, you know? Sweaty palms. I think my palms are sweaty, yeah, I can live like that and live in fear or I can just say, hey, God's in charge of this. We'll work it out when he works it out. But fear doesn't work that way. Fear needs like an immediate release. And so if you choose to live a life by fear, you're gonna be on edge all the time. You choose to allow worry and anxiety to run the show for you and to call the shots for you, it's gonna be exhausting because there's not always an immediate answer. We had a... I sound, uh, this past week, it sounded like somebody was jerking on the gate. And my wife tells me to get up and look, and so pull the shades up, look, nothing. Like nobody even around for 100 yards. But it needed that immediate validation. And so when things come into your life, there's not always going to be immediate answers. So we got to have another antidote rather than just fixing it. And that's where faith comes in because faith is the answer to fear. And again, I know this sounds overly simplistic and as we go through this eight-week series on fear, we're gonna continue to come back to the word faith again and again and again because faith is the antidote to fear. Again, if we take a look at our text and we see Jesus, when he rebukes them, verse number 40 says to them, why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith. Isaiah chapter 35, verse number three says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even your God with the recompense, and he will come and save you. You see, the Bible says, Don't fear, God's got this. Don't fear God's in control. And when you and I begin to worry, be anxious about and be fearful about the circumstances of life, then we take the power from God and put it upon ourselves like, oh, I'm going to fix this. God doesn't have the power to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to trust in his plan or trust in his sovereignty. I'm going to fix this myself. And every time we try to do that, I'll always have the same question. How's that working out for you? Because I know for me, when I try to take something from God's hand and run it myself, I generally end up messing it up pretty good. But when we think about fear and faith, peace and rest are found in someone, not something. Think about it this way you can't go to Target and buy courage, it's not available. Of all the medicine that they can give you for anxiety and depression and and worry and things like that, there's not a single pill that anybody could ever give you that's labeled courage. Take this and it's going to bolster you. There's medication they can give you so that you don't feel things, so that maybe you're not anxious that might level you out a bit, but there's nothing that anybody can give you that will bring about boldness, peace, or courage because... Those things aren't found in something. They're found in someone. And notice when the storm came, they didn't say, all hands on deck, grab a bucket, start baling water. They didn't say, Captain, what should we throw overboard? What did they do? They went and found someone. When everything went sideways, they went and found the one person that they thought could actually do something. That was Jesus. And so you and I, it's interesting when fear comes, we begin asking ourselves, what can we do? What is the one thing that I can do that will help get me through this or get me past this? But you're missing the point. It's not found in something. It's found in someone. And you'll find that even in our sinful, fallen, carnal nature, when we're faced with fear, we always want another person with us, don't we? Like, who goes to a haunted house by themselves? Nobody, right? You just don't. You wouldn't do that. You want to go with somebody else that you can scream or grab a hold of when something goes sideways. If you're going into a fearful situation, maybe a dark walk through the forest and you don't know where you're going, would you rather go alone or would you rather go with another person? Probably another person. If you couldn't find another person, maybe a a dog. You take your dog with you. You know, at least you're not by yourself. Why? Because fear automatically pushes us towards others, which we can look at and say, wow, that's really unhealthy, or we could look at it and say, that's God's design. Because your fearful, anxious situations that you go through in life, God is pushing you, first of all, towards himself, and secondly, towards other Christians who will walk through this with boldness with you. And we'll find that as we walk through this series on fear over the next eight weeks We'll take a look at time and time again. God drives us back to himself and God drives us back to his church, his people. And so, again, when we take a look at the Psalms, the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and are safe. David says in Psalm 18, verse number one, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. So it's crazy as you read through the Psalms. If you're, if you're struggling with, with worry, anxiety, fear, doubt, read the Psalms. There's 150 of them. If you read five a day, you could read through the entire book in a month, and five a day would take you 15 minutes or less. It'd be one of the best investments you can make of your time in the morning if you don't have a regular Bible reading schedule. Because as you find these psalms of great hope and encouragement and faith, you'll often find the headings at the beginning, say, David, written from a cave when Saul was out to kill him. David written while fleeing Absalom, his own son who's looking to kill him. So you see David writing these psalms of great courage and great boldness and great faith in the goodness of God. He's not writing them from the throne room of the king of Israel. He's writing them as a solo guy running for his life in a hold up in a cave somewhere with people around him that are looking to slit his throat. But he extols on how good God is because he knows that peace doesn't come from having an army at your side. Peace doesn't come from having a position of authority. Peace comes from the presence of God in your life. When we look at the relationship between fear and faith, fear crowds out the heart space that's allocated for faith. If we think of our heart as the seat of our emotions and there's a finite space there, If we're filled with 80% fear and 20% faith, there's no room for anything else. That's, again, why we got to go back to our our text this morning and take a look at what Jesus says in verse number 40. Why are you so fearful or so full of fear? How is it that you have not just a little faith or meager faith or wimpy faith? You have no faith. So their heart was 100% filled with fear and 0% faith. And Jesus says, what's going on here? You don't even have a little bit of faith. And so if we decide to live a life of fear and to decide to be blown away by everything that comes our way, and look, if you're waiting for that, just know it's coming because your whole life can change in one text message or one phone call. You know that. Then when that comes, when the storm comes, will you be found with a heart full of faith or will it be a heart of fear anxiety? Oh, I knew this was going to come. Bad stuff always happens to me. Why does this always happen to me? I can't seem to get ahead. That's a a heart of fear and worry. A heart of faith says, I know that God has a plan in this and I'm going to trust Him through that. But the problem with fear is that fear wants to be in control, fear wants to call the shots. Fear doesn't allow faith its space that it needs to be able to do what God's called us to do. Fear wants to be the one that calls the shots. Okay, let's put together a game plan. Okay, what's going to happen now? Okay, we can do this, 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 and this. But you know what faith says? Faith says God's got a plan in all this and we'll just trust him. <coughs> February of this year, my daughter Makili had gone to the emergency room on a Saturday night and been having a fever for several days and and then um, they couldn't get her fever down and so they decided to keep her overnight and run some tests. It was a Saturday night Sunday morning, they uh, found out that her lungs were filling up with fluid. Uh, she'd gone into septic shock and was basically within hours of, of not making it. And so they rushed her to the ICU uh, at uh, Kapilani, And I was here on a Sunday morning preaching, preaching services, went up to the hospital and uh, afterwards. And as we got there, on her IV tree that they had, there were 17 bags of fluid that were hanging in, and lines and... and And hoses going everywhere under the sun. And I just looked at that and I thought, wow. And so my wife came over and and gave me the debrief, told me what was going on, and and what do we do? Went and sat down in the uh, cafeteria there, sat outside and just talked. What did the doctor say? What does it look like? You know, what's the plan? What do they think it is? We just talked wow, that must have been terrifying. It wasn't. We just sat there and talked. had a lot of peace. You know why? Because we made a decision a long time ago. When difficult times come, we're going to trust in God. We're not going to have our own plan in our back pocket. Had fear taken over? Hey, I'm going to start taking notes of these 17 bags and find out what they are. I'm going to Google them and find out what they use them for. I'm going to find out who our doctors are and where they went to school and who they trained under. I'm going to find all these... These medical students that are residents, I'm going to kick them out and get the real doctors in here who know what they're actually doing. I'm going to call all my friends who work in healthcare and I'm going to give them a copy of her chart and tell them, have them tell me what they think we should do with this situation. And I tell you what, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get to work because we're not going to let this girl get any sicker. But I'm not in charge of any of that. It's not my job, it's not my area of expertise. And so I have to believe that God loves this girl more than I do. That God's got a bigger plan than my plan. That God knows who these doctors are more than I know them. I just got to trust Him. That's what we did. Just trusted the Lord. And I'm telling you this. We had such peace during that time. You might say, oh, you're so bold, so courageous. No, we just, we just been through this enough times to know that God's always in charge. and you know, always has a plan and you can always trust Him. And fear doesn't get anybody anywhere. We could have done a lot of hand wringing. I could have been having ulcers and been having my own problems and be put on medication myself for all the stuff I'm dealing with or I can just trust God through it. We chose to just trust God through it. And I'm telling you this, God gave us a peace like you've never known before. We prayed. We committed it to the Lord. Asked God to be glorified through it and guess what? He was and he did and he handled it. She'd be in the hospital for a total of four weeks. She'd be in ICU for a week had a super rare blood disease that caused a blood clot in her jugular vein that we still don't know how she got it or where she got it or why. She still continues to have a lingering health problems. Here's what we know. God's good. He's faithful. Not sweating it. But fear, fear always wants to run the show. It always wants to call the shots. It has to have its way. And fear will rob you of your peace and fear will rob you of rest because you've got to have the answer. You've got to fix it. Now again, I'm not above doing what you need to do. We took her to the hospital. We took notes about what was going on and when she had fevers and all this other stuff. Do your part, but at the end of the day, God's in charge of it. Let Him do His thing. But fear doesn't allow that. That's why we got to allow fear to be pushed to the side and allow faith to take over. You see, the emotion of fear and and the presence of faith—they can coexist together because emotion is just something that you feel at a moment. So you can have great faith and still have a tinge of fear. That's okay. Those two can coexist. They can go together. And just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean that you'll never experience the emotion of fear again. But a lifestyle of fear in the presence of faith, those two cannot coexist. They're exclusive. Either you're going to live by fear or you're going to live by faith, but you can't do both. There's a difference. Again, the idea that if you're walking with Jesus and you have faith, you'll never experience the emotion of fear again, that's just not realistic. Every single time I stand up here behind this pulpit and open the Bible, I'm terrified. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I get butterflies. I I shake a little bit. My heart rate goes up. I get nervous. But I'm not going to allow that to control my life because I have great faith in God's word. I just want to tell you what the Bible says every single week. So it's okay to feel the emotion of fear, but you can't let fear call the shots and run the show. I can't ever get to the point where where I say, I'll get nervous when I talk in front of people, so I'm just not going to preach the word anymore. No, I don't allow fear to to limit my life or call the shots or run the show. I have to just trust in faith. I'm doing what God's called me to do. And so there will be times where you feel fear, you just got to push through. Because you cannot allow your life to be run by fear. There's a difference. If you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that the most often repeated command in all of the Bible is "Fear not." You'll find it in the Old Testament when an angel appears. You'll find it in the Gospels when an angel appeared to Joseph and Mary, "Fear not." You find it in the Book of Revelation when John sees heaven with his own eyes. The angel tells him, "Fear not." You find it when people are getting ready to go on journeys. Facing opposition, facing war, facing difficulties, fear not. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the number one commandment in the Bible is not be holy or live by faith or trust God or something like that? Because I think God knows that we are an incredibly fearful people. That when faced with insecurity, when faced with doubt, our number one go-to is fear. Fear. And fear brings out the worst in us because, again, it causes us to act against our better judgment, it causes us to forget the promises of God, and it causes us to trust in ourselves when we shouldn't. A quote from that book I'd mentioned earlier by Edward Welch, he says this, "'Search the scripture and find that our fears are not trivial to God. Do not be afraid, are not the words of a flesh and blood friend, a mere human like yourself.'" Do not be afraid are not the hollow words of a fellow passenger on a sinking ship who has no experience in shipwrecks, can't swim, and has no plan. These words are more like the words of a captain who says, don't be afraid, I know what to do. When that right person speaks these words, you might be comforted. Remember, do not be afraid of the words of the one which can match speech with action. He's a sovereign king who really is in control, and the efficacy of the words do not be afraid is directly related to the authority, power, and love of the one speaking them. Look, when I say you don't have to live by fear, that's not my advice for you. It's a promise from God's word. And if God promises you that, please understand he has the action to back it up. That if God says you and I should live by, by faith, not by sight, Just trust Him. He knows what He's talking about. And and again, here's a crazy thought. If God is sovereign, and He is, and God has a sovereign plan, which He does, that means before the world was created and until the end of the world, God has a plan and knows exactly what's going on between them. He's so planned out that in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took of that fruit, they ate it, and they began to die. God already had a plan for their redemption that would one day save the souls of you and I. And His plan not only included our redemption, but also our sanctification and growth to be like Jesus, ultimately our glorification to be like Jesus and be with Him for all of eternity in heaven. If He planned it out thousands of years ago, and he has the whole eternity planned out ahead of him, I think he can handle what you got going on on Tuesday afternoon. Just saying. I think he already knows what those test results are going to be when they come back, and he's got a plan for it. I think he's all right. I think he understands the loss that you've experienced and how you're going to overcome it. So just tell me, let me tell you this, you can trust him. And again, I'm not telling you to trust me. I'm telling you to trust God and his word. That's what's going to take you for the long haul. That's why, again, I want you to be self feeders when it comes to the Word. I want you to become students of the Word of God. I want you to dig deep and get what you need to carry on every day. Because I'm telling you this, because my pastor said so, doesn't last very long in the midst of a storm. Just doesn't. Well, my pastor said I should hang on when difficult times come. No, God says hang on to Him when difficult times come. I'm just the messenger. You wouldn't say, well, the paper boy told me that uh, I should do this. You get it from the newspaper, whoever writes it. I'm just the, 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 the mailman. You don't trust the mailman, you trust the mail. The mail is the word of God. Trust in him. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him. Four final thoughts we're done. First of all, choose your faith over your past experiences. This is hard for us, especially when we've walked this path before. Oh, I've been here before. I know how this ends. Oh, I've seen this show before. It's going to be a rerun. Choose to trust in faith, not based on what you've gone through before, because you can't trust your past experiences. Next, choose to trust faith over your current circumstances. Yeah, I know. I know. But here's what this is. <laughs> it's funny, even sometimes me as a pastor, at least Saturday, so I was talking to a friend on Wednesday night. I was explaining the situation to him. I said, dude, there's absolutely no hope for the situation whatsoever. He goes, yeah, there is. No, there's not. There's no hope in this situation whatsoever. He goes, yeah, there is. He goes, the Lord. I know, apart from the Lord, there's no hope in this situation. He goes, well, then look to this, the place where there's hope. I don't need to hear that right now. I just need to complain for a minute, you know? Because again, we say, oh, there's no hope for this situation except from the Lord. Yeah, I know except from the Lord, but aside from that, there's no hope. Well, then look to the place where there's hope. Don't trust in your circumstances, don't trust in your past experiences. Choose to trust God's word by faith. This one's really hard. Choose faith over your feelings. This is so hard. Here's the thing about feelings. You can't trust them despite how genuine they feel. Think about that for a second. You can't trust your feelings despite how really, really real they feel. The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it. Your heart lies to you. That's why, again, as a Christian, you should cringe when someone says, I believe it with all of my heart. You should cringe when you hear that. Or cringe when somebody says, I'm just going to follow my heart. Oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Because you can't trust your feelings. You know why? Because your feelings change. Some days I want to have faith. Some days I don't. Some days I really believe God's going to come through for me. And other days I feel like he's not. Some days I feel like I can do anything because God is with me and he is my conqueror. And other days I feel like I can't even get out of bed, much less conquer anything. My feelings change based on the weather. If it's sunny outside, I can do anything in the world. If it's cloudy outside, I can't do anything, so I'll just stay inside, drink coffee, and watch Netflix. And my feelings change based on the weather. Weather. I can't trust my feelings because it's constantly in flux. I need to trust in something that becomes the anchor of my soul. I need to trust in something that can be a sure foundation. I need to trust in something that can become my rock. You know what that is? It's the Lord. So I've got to choose faith over my feelings because my feelings will lead me astray. My faith tells me that God is good. My feelings means, tells me this doesn't feel good. My faith tells me that God loves me. My feelings say I don't want to be loved like this. So I've got to pick which one I'm going to allow to have the loudest voice. I'm going to have to choose which one I'm going to believe is true. Don't trust your feelings. You'll be led astray every time. Bottom line, you've got to choose to trust your faith over your fear. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God's good. I don't know what's coming down the road, but I believe that God's good. I can sit and worry and wring my hands and think about the 10 million things that might possibly happen. Or I can just choose to trust God and go on with my life. I encourage you, trust God and go on with your life. Because worry, anxiety, fear, that just steals your joy. Jesus tells us this, and we'll take a look at Matthew chapter 6 later in our series. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's already got its own set of problems. And your fear just steals today's joy and does nothing with tomorrow's problems. So just choose. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in Him because He's worthy. You can trust Him. Hey, look, if He can take the children of Israel out of Egypt, they can walk across on dry land. That's the same God that you and I pray to. He can handle whatever you got going on this week. I guarantee you. If he can lead a million people out of slavery, across dry land, in the Red Sea, and then absolutely drown all of their enemies, I guarantee you whatever you got this week is gonna be no sweat for him. You can trust him. Unless you think you're better than him. So I don't think I'm better than him. Well, then stop trying to fix it on your own. Trust him. Most important thing in the world if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. You don't have a point of faith to go to. You haven't even begun with step one, putting your faith in Jesus for eternity. So you need to be saved. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, today is your opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not about becoming a Baptist. It's not about joining our church. It's not about being baptized or anything like that. You don't have to attend a class. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and repent of your sin. If you're willing to do that today, you can be saved, and that's the beginning of a life of faith for you. But for the rest of us that have already been saved or born again, why would you be willing to trust God with your eternity and not trust Him with your present? Seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? I trust God after I die that He'll handle everything, which we don't know what happens after we die apart from what God tells us. I willing to trust Him with that, but I can't trust Him with what's going on this week. That seems kind of backwards. Well, you can trust Him with everything you got going on this week, next week, and the week after that. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be crippled by anxiety and worry. We can live by bold faith based on the promises of God's Word. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.